Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good week. Um, we are going to continue this morning looking at this thought of who is God and specifically how do we grow? Uh, we started this last week, but how do we grow in our understanding, our knowledge, our experience of God? How do we grow in our in our walk becoming more like Christ and in our life being transformed more into his image that we um, walk as he walked? And so we're going to continue doing that. Um, I want to mention to you, though, before we jump into this, uh, we have a new reading plan that's coming out this week. We uh, call it 412 Reading Plan, um, and the, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. We're about to start a new one that's going to be going through the book of, of Psalms and Proverbs, and so I want to encourage you to check that out. The, the thought of this is we want to begin looking at um, the Psalms and Proverbs, a lot of this wisdom that, that we see in this to begin to see more clearly um, who God is, but also how is God different than we are? How does God think different? What's his, what's his mind like, the mind of God, the heart of God, and us really being able to see um, where we don't line up maybe in our thinking. Uh, we, our minds need to be renewed to think the way God thinks, and, and we're going to talk about that a good bit today. But that's the the heart of this reading plan that we're going to go through is really beginning to see more clearly God's heart, his, his wisdom, his mind, um, all of these things so that our mind and our heart can begin to conform to his will, not just what we've always known. And so um, I want to encourage you to participate in that. It's important. We talked about last week, again, the importance of being in God's word um, and, and allowing his word to speak to us. And so um, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, tonight we will be having the prayer and worship time, 6 o'clock. I want to encourage you to come out and pray with us. Um, it's been really good just getting together and praying with people, worshiping together. Uh, has been awesome. All right. Um, today uh, I want us to start again in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at Ephesians quite a bit um, lately. Last week we began here, we began in verse 11, read through verse 24. I want to do that again. Um, and before we read, though, I want to I pray, and then we'll read through this scripture. Um, after I read through the scripture, I've uh, got a little short video I want you to watch. But let's pray together. Um, really, uh, as I pray, I want to encourage you not just to sit idly, but you pray. Not just coming into agreement with what I pray, but you engage in prayer. It's not a spectator sport. It's something that we can do together, and there's power in that. So I want to encourage you to pray uh, as well as I, when I pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you, Lord. I thank you for uh, your truth, your word that we're about to get into, Lord. I thank you for um, how powerful it really is, Lord. I pray today that, God, we would have ears to hear what you say to us. I pray today, Lord, that it would be your words and your voice that we hear. Um, Father, I pray that we would be awakened uh, to greater clarity of who you are, greater clarity of who we are in you and our purpose in this world and in this life. God, I pray that um, we would recognize you as the living God and the God of the living, that those of us who have put our faith in Christ have gone from death to life. And I pray, Lord, that we would live that life out, that Christ would work in us and through us. Your spirit would work in us and through us, God. And that it would be 
be something, God, that the world takes notice of. That, God, we would lift you up and that you would draw all people to yourself. We exalt you this morning. We love you and we thank you for the love you've poured out on us, God. Pray that that would compel us, Lord, to go forward with your mission, pursuing you and fulfilling the purpose that you created us for, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I want to start out reading Ephesians 4. and We've been looking a lot at um, how God has called us all to be a part of the body, that, that, that the church life, the Christian life is not an um, individual sport. It's a team sport. We do this together. It's impossible for us to fulfill our purpose in life apart from each other. And so we've been looking at this. Um, and last week we began to look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 24 and picking up a lot on um, the growth language that's in there where Paul is writing to these churches uh, in, in Asia and he's telling them, listen, the goal in all of this is that we grow up into maturity. And so I want to read this again, give a little bit of comment to it as we go. Um, and then again, there's a video I want you to see. It says, so Christ himself in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is telling us in this, he's saying, look, Jesus has given gifts to um, some of the leadership in the church. He's called people, not just paid staff, but people in the church to equip the saints, to equip the people of God, to equip the church, the body of Christ, to do ministry um, within the church, but also to carry um, Christ's message to the world and to be a demonstration of that message and how we live together. He says the purpose of this, again, he mentions this, he says, is to all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What happens when we do that? We become mature and we attain to the full measure of Christ. In other words, we experience the fullness of Christ in the church, outside of the church, not in the four walls, but in the body, the people. Outside of these four walls, people see the fullness of Christ in his church. He says then, he says then, so when we reach maturity, we reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, then we will no longer be infants. Again, going from infant to maturity. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. What's he saying? He's like, look, once we become mature, once we grow in God's word, once we anchor ourselves in the truth, we all come to unity in the faith. We're bound together by the spirit, united around the gospel. Once we come to the this common knowledge of Christ and our differences fall to the side because we realize we're all sons and daughters of God. He's saying then we won't be blown here and there. We won't be tossed off course by all these other things that come our way. He's saying then we'll reach maturity, standing firm in God's truth. He says instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow again from infant to mature. We'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ from him. So 
coming from him, the whole body, the whole church, the people of God, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as we grow together, each part is doing its work. The gifts of the Spirit, what we were called to be in the body, begins to happen, and the body grows and builds itself up in love. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In other words, don't live like the people who don't know Christ. Don't walk that way. He says this, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? Their thinking, their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, their minds, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, their minds, how they think that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, they have hardened themselves towards God. They, they, they don't know him. The spirit has not brought them to life. The truth has not become real to them, alive to them. They don't have clarity of who Christ is, who God is, what God has done, who they could be in Christ. That hasn't happened to them. And the reason is that they reject him. Their hearts are hardened. He says, having lost all sensitivity, their hearts have become callous, hard. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, so now here's the contrast. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. He's saying, look, you know differently. You've heard the truth. You know the truth. You've responded to the truth. He says, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in what? The attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In all of this, Paul is talking to them as the community. He's not just talking about them individually. He's talking about them in the community, in the church, in the body, the body growing to maturity. He's saying, look, put off the old self. Begin to walk in unity together. Begin to grow up. It's, it's all throughout. Go from infant to mature. Don't think this way. Think this way. Continue to grow. Don't stay the same, but change. Be transformed according to the truth. Grow into faith. Grow in Christ's likeness. I want you to see a video in just a second. And I want you to tell you that the video is pretty challenging. It was for me. Um, there's a lot of truth to it. The video is going to address, uh, the speaker is going to address men mostly. I believe this was done at a men's conference. But I want you to understand it really applies to all of us, all of us who are followers of Christ. And so I want you to see this video real quick. Um, it's about two and a half minutes. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. What are the marks of a man who's been walking with God over time? Is that he ought to be sound in faith. If there is anything that burdens me, it is this idea. In our culture, in modern American Christianity, we will not tolerate biblical 
theological and spiritual maturity in men. Let me say that again. In modern American Christianity, we will not tolerate biblical, spiritual, theological maturity in men. You just can't have it. Nothing above mediocrity. Oh, what do you mean? I mean, we're at this conference, and we, I mean, of course we're all about this. We want men to be mature. We want men to grow up. Listen, I can prove it to you. In most of our churches, if you have a young man who's 16, 17, 18 years old, and this young man is reading church history, and he's reading theology, he knows his Bible. He's studying his Bible. He has a passion for the Word of God, has a passion for the things of God, and a passion for the people of God. You know what happens in the average American church? They look at that 16, 17, 18-year-old young man and they say, God must be calling you to preach. Really? Why? Because you love the Bible, you love theology, you love church history, you're passionate about the things of God, Now, what we ought to say is, well, that just means you're a Christian, right? No, not in the modern American church. And you know this is true. In the modern American church, if a young man gets that serious about the things of God, immediately the mediocrity of manhood in the modern American church says, you need to get away from the rest of us because we will not tolerate your passion. You've got to go get a seminary degree. You've got to go become a pastor. You've got to put reverend in front of your name so that I no longer feel guilty about my own mediocre pursuits. Dang. That is awesome, though. I saw that, and, and it convicted me. But it's, it is true, isn't it? That in our culture, in our, our American church culture, that if somebody, especially a young man, gets excited about God and he's serious about the things of God, then immediately the thought is he must be called to be a paid church person, right? He must be called to be a paid professional. Because if he's that serious about God, there must be a special calling on his life. Because if I'm not, if there's not a special calling on his life, then what it tells me is there might be something wrong with me in my relationship with God. So I have to separate him out so that I can continue to be complacent in where I am. And that's true. And, and it's challenging, but it's true. I told you last week that one, a buddy of mine in a meeting, he made a comment. He said, the objective in the church is not just to get people through the process. The objective is growth. The objective is that we grow. We grow together. We grow in Christ's likeness. The church grows in the fullness of Christ, that we experience the fullness of Christ in the love of God that we share amongst ourselves and share with the world. But the objective is growth. It's not just to stay the same. And here's where I've been this week, and, and I've just been wrestling with this, and I hope you will too, because the thing about it is, look, we can, we can continue to come here, and we can continue to go through the motions for most of us. We can continue to make it a Sunday thing for an hour and 15 minutes. We can continue to try to fit God into a schedule that really has no room for God. We can continue to do all of those things, going through the motions, half-hearted if we want to. God's church 
all over this country can continue to go through the motions if we want to. But listen, I did not get into this to go through the motions. I am not going to just go through the motions. That's not what God's called us to. If we're just going to come in and go through the motions and then walk out and go, well, thank God that's over for another week or another month or till next Easter. Then what's the point? If that's what I'm going to be about and that's what we're going to be about, I'll just go hunting. I'll just go fishing. I'll just sleep in on Sunday. Because there's more to it than that. It's not, this is not a message about you need to straighten up and try harder. This is a message about we've got to come to clarity about who God is because if I can get clarity about who God is and what God's done, there's no way I can't be in a passionate pursuit of him. See, typically the church is like, well, you need to do better. Come on. Our doing has to come from our understanding and experiencing of God. We've got to get clarity. But I told you last week, the only way we're going to ever come to clarity of who God is, who I was apart from Christ, what God's done and who I've become in Christ and what my purpose is in life is if I'm in his word. If I'm allowing God's spirit to speak to me through his truth. And we saw last week, I read Matthew 4, it's not even a, it's like a kind of an obscure scripture. I mean, it's, it's good. It's got a lot in it where Jesus is tempted in the desert, tons of stuff. But I went around the room with a microphone and people are saying, this is what I got from it. This is what I got from it. This is what I got from it. My eight-year-old can read this Bible. I'm not talking about just a kid's Bible. He's a smart kid. He's my kid. But he's, listen, which is a miracle, he's smart. But he can read this Bible and understand a lot of it. Just take out even the Holy Spirit. So the issue is not that we can't understand it. The issue is we don't have clarity of God and there is no passion and desire in my heart to pursue him. How does that happen? I've got to see him. I've got to know him. I've got to experience him. I've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. If I'm, if I'm going to grow, and I told you last week, we're going to be looking at some simple things to grow in Christ, to, to grow in our relationship with God, to grow in unity as the church. Last week, we looked at Scripture. This week, I want to tag on the end of that, pick up where we left off talking about Scripture, and I want us to talk about renewing our minds. We sang a song earlier that talked about God's word tearing down strongholds. Strongholds are simply inaccurate ways of thinking. They're things that we've accepted as truth in our mind, and over time, they become patterns of thinking. We think according to the pattern of this world in many ways because for most of us, that's basically what we've always known. We think according to the ways of the world. Now, I've told you this before, but it, this is reality. My worldview, how I see God, myself, others, my purpose, it determines how I think, 
How I think determines the decisions I make. The decisions I make determine the life I live. So if you back up here and you take it from the reverse, what has to happen is if my life is going to change, it's going to be transformed and I'm going to begin to live more like Christ. I'm going to walk in his ways. Then I have to come to a place where my decisions are going to change. But if my decisions are going to change, my thinking has to change. If my thinking is going to change, my worldview has to change. The way that's going to happen is when God, working through his spirit, working through his word, begins to open my eyes and I begin to see truth in his word. So that what I've known as truth gets replaced, gets torn down, the strongholds torn down. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 10 that we don't fight with weapons that are carnal or of this world, but the weapons that we've been given in Christ have the power to pull down strongholds so we can take every thought captive and bring it into obedience of Christ. So that these things that don't line up with truth, I can overcome them with God's truth. For us, though, we, we've got to come to a place where we're awakened. We realize that there's more. There's more to God. That we realize that God's called us to a greater place, a greater purpose. I want to go to uh, Romans chapter 12 now. I refer to this verse a lot because to me it so clearly lays out the importance of renewing our mind, the importance of seeing things the way God sees them and the power that that has. I want to read, as we read it, I want to kind of go through it. We're going to look at the first eight verses. He begins and he starts out the very first verse. He says, therefore, we're looking at how, how do I renew my mind? How, how am I transformed into the image of Christ? How, how do we as the church become mature and grow? He says, therefore, we know then that he's speaking and, and tying this into what he just said. Throughout the book of Romans, from Romans 1, y'all listen, Romans 1 through 11, he's been showing us the righteousness of God and how we can become righteous by faith in Christ. In other words, we're made right with God. Our sin is taken away. He's showing us all of this. Right before chapter 12 and the end of 11, he's basically worshiping God, declaring his mercies, how great his mercies are. And so he's saying, therefore, since his mercies are so great, since God is so good, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's he saying? He's saying when you see who God is and what God's done, who you were, who you've become, and this purpose that is so much bigger that God has for you, when he says when you see this and it becomes clear because he says in view of, you gotta see it. You gotta have clarity about it. The spirit has to bring it as truth into your heart and I see it clearly. My eyes have been opened. The eyes of my heart and my understanding have been opened and so I view it, I see See God's mercy in Christ, that though I deserve death, I deserve to be separated from God for eternity because I've sinned against him. I rebelled against him. I've, I've gone against him. Though I deserve this, 
that, that Christ came, that God made a way, that Jesus came and lived a life I could not live, a perfect life, that in his body he took my sin, and on the cross he took God's wrath, that he took all the wrath of God poured out on him so that it wouldn't be poured out on me. He was condemned so that I wouldn't have to be. He died the death that I should have died. He went into a tomb. It was cold. His body was dead for three days. But three days later, the tomb was open. Jesus walked out. And in that moment of the first breath, when he breathed in, death, hell, and the grave was defeated forever so that now we can come to life in Christ. He was the first fruits of what is to come for all who believe in him. And we see that he has overcome all of these things. And Paul has laid all this out masterfully from Romans 1.1 all the way to the end of 11. And he says, therefore, if you see this, in view of this, if you can get clarity around what God has done, he says, for the reasonable person, the reasonable thing to do is to offer your life as a living sacrifice, to give yourself over to him, to see the goodness of God and how he saved you. And from that, the reasonable, sensible thing is, God, I want to spend the rest of this earthly life and existence bringing people to the knowledge of who you are. That's what the whole thing is saying. View the mercy of God. See the mercy of God. Meditate on the mercy of God. Think about the mercy of God. Don't set your mind on things on earth. Don't be mastered by things on earth, but set your mind on things in heaven where the Bible says we've already been seated. In other words, our place is secure. We've already been put there. And so Peter could even say we're strangers or aliens on this earth because why? I'm not even, this isn't even where I belong. Now I belong here. But the problem in the church and the hindrance to the church and its growth is that I'm really comfortable here and I'm trying so hard to preserve what is fading and dying and passing away anyway that I keep my mind here instead of putting it on what's going to last. I put it on what's temporary instead of what's eternal and I'm robbed of life because all of this worry and burden is weighing me down, but this is only going to last at the most 80, 90, 100 years. So why am I spending so much time trying to preserve something that is here today and gone tomorrow when in Christ and the deposit of the Holy Spirit that he's put in me, I know that I have eternal security in Christ. I'm already placed there. My place is secure. And one day I'm going to be there. If I can see that, and in view of God's mercy, I recognize that, that this is, this is all so temporary. But we fight so hard. We worry so much about preserving what is fading. What's here today and gone tomorrow, a vapor. Yet it consumes our mind, our thoughts, our worries, our efforts, and the one who gave everything so that this is overcome, so that this does not determine who we are or what we're about. The one who would give us life, even in this body, right now, eternal life, right now, beginning. The one who, who would, has done and will do all of that. Meh. Meh. The God of the universe did all of this 
There's no way that I can confess that I see this clearly and live completely consumed by this. Either I have taken my eyes off of who God is and what he's done, or I've never seen it if I am content living in this place. So he goes on, he's saying, look, in view of his mercy, in view of his mercy that he's given us in Christ, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of the world? It's the ways of this world, the ways of this age, the way that the world operates. The way the world thinks, we're inundated constantly by the pattern of the world. What's important, what matters, what's, what's he, what, what's, what we should live for, who we have to be, all of these things, we're inundated. But he says, listen, if you're gonna break free and we sang the song that the liberator is here. See, the problem is not that the liberator is not here. We'll even pray and say, God, would you be with us today? God is already here because where two or more are gathered in his name, he promises to be here. The issue is not that God doesn't want to be with us or reveal himself to us. The issue is we really have no desire to see him. If we're completely honest. And so when we look at this and we see it, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't just give in to the way the world thinks, what the world thinks is important. Come to God's truth. Allow the Holy Spirit working through the word of God to begin to transform you by renewing your mind. See, it's salvation. When we come to know Christ, when the truth of God opens our eyes to the reality of Christ, the Bible teaches us that God gives us his Holy Spirit. In that moment, we begin to have a desire for God. That desire for God sends us on a, a lifelong pursuit of, of following him, walking with him, enjoying him, serving him out of gratitude for what he's done in view of his mercy. We serve him. It, it sets us on this track. It sets us on this, this path with God. And as we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of him, knowing him, experiencing him, our transformation begins to happen as I walk this out, as I follow him, as I'm enjoying his presence. But for most of us, we've just settled to think, to live the way that the world lives, the way that the world thinks. Transformation from the pattern of thinking in the world to the image of Christ, the way that God thinks happens as our mind is renewed. He says, then, listen, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying, listen, as your mind is renewed, you're going to see things the way God sees it. You're going to begin to walk the way God walks. You're going to test 
his, his word. You're going to test his will. You're going to see that it's, a, it's good. He's saying you're going to be able to test and approve. I tested it. I tried it. Absolutely. This is the right way. This is the best way. This is the good way. This is how God's called me to live. It's right, good, it's best. And, and then I'm approving it, right? I've tried it. I've tested it. I approve it. And he says his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I can testify. I can approve of it. I can say it is good. I can say it is pleasing. I can say it is perfect. As I'm growing, as my mind is being renewed. But what's required? I mean, what does it take? Like if my mind is going to be renewed, what does it take? What is necessary? How does that work? Last week, I told you in regard to reading scripture, I told you that it takes discipline. Uh, we, we have to discipline ourselves to spend time with God, but I also told you the difference in legalism and spiritual discipline. Legalism, the difference in both of them is, our, is the goal and motivation of each. The goal in legalism is to make myself approved of by God and myself and others, that I'm doing these things to hopefully make myself good enough. And my motivation is that I make myself good enough so that I go there, not there. That's kind of the whole goal. Be good enough to get there, hopefully, cross my fingers, hope that I stick a needle in my eye one day. Spiritual discipline, the motivation is completely different. I'm not working to try to approve myself or make myself approved by God. I've already been made right with God through Christ. My, my pursuit of him and the discipline in my life to get in the word, to spend time with him, to pray, is, is that he saves me. He's given me purpose in life. He's called me his own. And so my motivation is his love that he's poured out in my life, the grace that is working in my life, him doing for me, in me, or through me what I cannot do. And so I spend my life in this relationship with him, motivated to spend time with him because this is what he's done. And out of that comes this different way of living as I grow in him. My goal is him. So many times we think about like, we're going to get our prize. You know, we're going to, we'll finally have it when we get to heaven. And God's like, I've already given myself to you. You already have the ability to come into my presence through my son. And so it's realizing I'm going to have to discipline myself like I do in any relationship but the goal and the motivation is completely different from trying to make myself approved by God or earn my way to God. If my mind is going to be transformed, if my life is going to be transformed, if the church is going to be transformed, there is no shortcut. In all of this, all transformation comes from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, working through God's Word. The first thing that has to happen is I have to have a change of mind about Jesus. See, before I come to faith, 
My life is hostile towards God. My life is hostile towards Christ. My life is, um, and literally, Romans tells us we're, we're enemies of God. And I've got to come to this place where I have a change of mind about God. How does that happen? Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith, which is belief and trust in Christ as he is who he is, that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. So in other words, when I hear the gospel, the good news about Christ, when I, when I hear it and I have a view and clarity comes about who Jesus is, it comes from hearing the good news of Jesus, hearing what he's done for me, hearing who he is. And the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of my understanding that the clouds kind of part and I'm able to see who Christ is. And I come to faith. My mind is changed about Christ, about God, about who he is, about the person of Jesus. And I come to this place of faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, you can go read this. It's a great chapter. Awesome. Paul tells us in verse 16, he says, look, we don't regard anyone according to the world, world any longer in, in, in a worldly way. He says, although we used to regard Christ this way, what's he saying? Our, our minds have changed about who Jesus is and our minds have changed about how we see people. But first, our mind has to change about who Jesus is. The second thing is that we have to come to a recognition and an acceptance of God's word as the ultimate and final authority in our life. We've got to have a mind change about Jesus. Then we've got to come to the conclusion that God's word is the ultimate and final authority in my life. And see, here's the reality. Every person sitting in here, there are parts of God's word that you would like to take out, that you don't like, that you don't agree with. I told nine, I can't remember if it was Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, but one of them literally took a knife and cut the scriptures out of their Bible that they did not like. That'd be kind of handy. Just be like, yeah, I don't like that one. Don't think that applies to me. But it either is or it isn't. It either is or it isn't. It is either the final authority in my life or we leave it powerless. If it is going to tear down strongholds in our mind, then it has to have authority in my life. Here's why. With the world telling me all the truths, with the world enforcing its patterns and ways, if this is not the ultimate authority and the ultimate truth, the big T truth in my life, then with all of these other competing voices, how am I really going to be transformed from the pattern of the world if there's a possibility in my mind and in my heart that that might be right instead of God's word? How am I going to stand firm in my identity in Christ, not falling prey to what the world tells me I ought to be, who I ought to be, what I ought to be about? If God's word doesn't have a greater voice in my life than what they tell me, And see, here's the thing. We can look at it and go, well, if that's the way the word is, then I don't want none of it. That's fine. Stay the way you are. Everybody around you wishes you would change, but stay the way you are. 
right? You can be stubborn. You can bow up to God, but you're going to lose that battle. We've got to come to a place where we recognize God's authority. The issue in the church for a, in a big way is that oftentimes we either try to elevate ourselves to God or we try to bring God down to where we are. The Bible promises us that the truth will set us free. But if we do not give God's word place in our life, that, that is not going to be our experience. And I'm saying this, guys, not out of frustration. I'm not mad. What you do with it is what you do with it. I'm saying this because I want you to be set free according to the truth. I want you to walk in the ways that God has for you. I want us to grow to maturity in Christ. I want us to be set free from an identity that is burdensome because of the pattern of the world. I want us to be set free from emptiness in life because we're pursuing a purpose that we've been told will satisfy when it never satisfies. God's word has to have place, the ultimate place in our lives. We cannot claim that God is our ultimate authority if his word is not. And listen, guys, there's gonna be, there are people who will reject that. They will reject that. But the reason that we reject it is because we love our opinions more than we love truth. And we are people who cater to the easiest path, the path of least resistance. So that the world tells us what we want to hear. The Bible tells us what is true. And so many times we just take what the world says. Why? Well, it doesn't offend and it fits what I need or what I want. But if we're still infants, we're still infants could we possibly know what we really need wouldn't it make sense to go to the creator to find out how the creation is wired what the creation needs why the creation exists who the creation is all of those things it's not found in the world it's found in truth And guys, listen. Freedom in Christ is found when Scripture becomes the big T truth in my life and its voice speaks louder. God's voice speaks louder than all the competing voices around me. Coming, listen, coming into a greater understanding of this, guys, and, and I'm not making this more dramatic than it is. Coming into a greater understanding of the truth setting you free literally saved my life. Literally. The truth setting me free literally brought me back to health. It didn't happen overnight but it's happened. I want the same for you. 
So I have to have a change of mind about Christ. I come to a place of recognizing God's word as the ultimate and final authority in my life. And then I spend time with God in his word. I don't just read it as if I'm reading Gone with the Wind. I read it praying for the Holy Spirit. I read it prayerfully that the Holy Spirit would begin to speak and open my eyes. Listen, this is what he does. And in that time with God, I've got to come to a place where I have a teachable spirit. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to coach a player who is uncoachable. Because it doesn't matter what you say. It's like throwing tennis balls up against a brick wall. It just comes back. The same is true with God's word. If we are not teachable, if I've not submitted myself to the word and my time with God, then I'm not submitting myself to that then I'm going to be unteachable. I had to submit my heart and pray for God to work in my heart. And I've got to actively apply God's word. Most of the time in church, when we hear apply God's word, we think about something we need to do. As in, like, I need to go do this, or I need to go do that, or I got to do this and do this and do this. The first step in applying God's word, guys, is taking God's word as the ultimate authority and beginning to allow his word and applying his word to the untruths in my life. This is how I see me, but this is how God sees me in Christ. This is who God says I am in Christ. If you wanna find out who you are and who we are in Christ, go read Ephesians. He says it over and over and over in Christ or in him. And so I gotta apply it to begin to do what 2 Corinthians 10 tells us. To, to, take, to pull down these strongholds by taking all of these untruths, all of these other thoughts captive and bringing them into obedience to the truth that God's big T truth trumps this little T truth that I've always believed and in that I find freedom and in that I begin to be set free and in that I can then realize that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Got to have a change of mind about Christ. I've got to taste and see that he's good. I've got to have a clear view of God's mercy as he shows me in Christ. I've got to realize that his word is the ultimate authority, that all other truth has been created and is therefore opinion so that he has given me what is true. I've got to spend time with him in it. Pray prayerfully that the Spirit speaks to me. When he speaks, I've got to be teachable. And then I begin to take those thoughts captive and bring them into obedience of Christ. And I want to tell you this, and this is where I want to end today. Growth, listen, growth is not going to happen because you respond to an altar call. Growth's not going to happen. Maturity is not going to come, bam, because you respond to an altar call, because you raise your hand for salvation. It may be a starting point of going to maturity, but that, there's no silver bullet in the church. There's no silver bullet that, that, that bam, I get it. There's no event I'm going to attend that's going to make me mature. Maturity comes from my experience with God, not in a moment, but my experience with God moment by moment. 
throughout my life. I come to maturity and growth. We become the mature body of Christ, not because of an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning that I go to and I get out and I'm like, whoo, glad that's over. Woo, I'll go back next month. Woo, I'll see y'all next Easter. Maybe Christmas. It happens when moment by moment by moment by moment, enjoying the presence of God. I'm living life and doing life with some folks who are pursuing him the same way, but it's not gonna happen. Maturity doesn't come in a moment. Maturity happens over time. Maturity comes, growth comes, the greatest growth comes, not in what happens in here, but your experience with God and his truth out there. The question becomes, we have to wrestle with this. Pray about this. Ask God to stir this in us. The question becomes, do I have a desire? Do I have a heart for the things of God? If not, God's got more for you. If not, there's, there's greater things out there for you. If you're not pursuing, if you don't know him, listen, there's greater things that God has for you, for us to glorify him. The last thing I wanna say today, if God's love pursues us, and it does, if Jesus came to make a way for us, God pursues us, then what should our response be to God in view of God's mercy and grace in Christ? What should my response be to him? I'm gonna leave you with that question. We're gonna sing a song and I want you to ponder that. Think about the goodness of God. Let's think about what our response should be.